Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. Thank you, Julie. Now, some of you said, I didn't know about membership, and so I missed it. Uh, don't worry. There are more chances coming. Just let us know you're interested. We'll make sure you're on the list of emails and all that. So here's my question to you this morning. What are we going to do about it? I, I know that the world is a mess. I know that uh, there's a lot of things going on that we don't like. What are we going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? And what's your strategy? I mean, what are you thinking is the best way to go about doing something about it? Because I'm guessing if we went around the room, there would be a few opinions. In fact, people write to me and express <laughs> opinions about how we should be changing the world and what we ought to do and what we ought not to do. And What do you think? If you're joining us online, what do you think is the answer to the problems that are going on out there? We started this little series called Active Listening. It's a seven-week series. We're already, you know, here in week two. And last week we talked about uh, the foundational truth. And I said last week, if you don't get this part, it's going to be hard to go forward. So here it is. It doesn't take long to get it. God listens to you. If we're going to move forward in the series, we have to have a place where we get renewed, where we get restored, where our souls get fed, where we feel like somebody's hearing our story and our need and our hurt and the things that are happening to us. And the scripture says, God hears you. God absolutely creates space in which we are invited. In fact, he not only hears the words of our mouth, but he hears the meditations of our hearts that when we can't form into words the things that we need to ask for, the, the way we, you know, I don't know about you, but the older I get, the less I know how to pray about situations. You know, I used to feel like, God, now here's what you need to do. In case you're a little closed in on that thing, let me tell you what you need. I need A, B, C, D, E, and F. The older I get, the more I'm like, I, I don't know. Maybe just your will done on earth as it is in heaven because... I've, I've asked for so many things so many times and then later found out, yeah, that's not what I wanted. <laughs> I, was, I shouldn't have asked for that. That was a bad left turn right there. And so he, he offers us a place where he intercedes, where he, we're told, is a high priest who, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with us, but one who was tempted in every way as we are tempted, yet was without sin. And when I think about that passage of Scripture, I think about this. I don't know that Jesus had all the same feelings that I had. I don't know that he's had all the specific temptations, but he did have this one thing. He had this moment in the garden when he said, Father, let this cup pass from me. And that one moment when he said, God, I don't like the way it's going, and I want it to go differently. I think that's what creates this identification with a high priest who can sympathize. Because how many times do we approach God and go, I don't think this is the way it's supposed to work? I don't think this is a way I want it to work. I don't think it's working out the way I think it should. And we're told we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize, but one who was tempted in every way as we are tempted. Let us, therefore, come boldly before the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy in our time of need. And we have a place to unburden, to let it go, to pour it out, to, to scream in anger, to cry in sorrow, whatever it is. And if we don't 
understand this sanctuary of space that we share with the Father. We're not really ready to move on to actively listening to someone else. (laughs) Because if we don't have something getting poured in, we don't have much to offer coming out. If you're keeping up, we should have seven of these things by the time we're done. Seven golden rules of active listening. The foundational truth, God is listening. Today, the core commitment, we're committed to listening. We're committed to listening. Sounds sort of pretty simple, but let's talk just a minute about that and what it might mean. Now, I'm going to need you to do a couple of things for me, whether you're joining online or you're here in the room. We're going to do some things that are cerebral. That means I'm going to throw at you data. Now, that, in order to receive data, you're going to have to listen intently because it's going to be a lot of stuff coming at you, and it's going to be scientific-ish stuff. <laughs> we'll start with the book of James. Just some reflections on listening, a few quotes. The first one's from our text. James 1.19, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. That's about a 10-week series right there. I mean, if we just did that right there, that would be a lot. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at themselves, they go away and they immediately forget what they look like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it Not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. (sighs) Awkward. I mean, it's why James has such a hard time being in the New Testament, because you can't misunderstand what he's saying. A few other quotes. John Wayne, channeling James. You're short on ears and long on mouth. You can take that with you. These are a little better. G.K. Chesterton, there's a lot of difference between listening and hearing. Ralph Nichols. The most basic of all human needs is the need to be understood and to understand. The best way to understand people is to listen to them. Doug Larson. Wisdom is the reward you get for a lifetime of listening when you would have preferred to speak. Wisdom is the reward you get for a lifetime of listening when you would have preferred to speak. Carl Menninger, listening is a magnetic and strange thing, a creative force. The friends who listen to us are the ones we move toward. When we are listened to, it creates us. It makes us unfold. It allows us to expand. Amen? Amen. Powerful thoughts. 
In a few minutes, we'll go back to James and we'll, we'll talk about six things that I think he's teaching us out of this passage of Scripture that matter to us if we're going to commit at the core to listen to the people around us. But before we do that, I want to talk about conversation. Generally speaking, there's two kinds of conversation. There are functional conversations and there are relational conversations. Now, functional conversations are important. Where are we going? What are we going to have for lunch? Who's going? You know, those are functional conversations. And they require active listening. I think if you don't listen at the functional level, people can never trust you with the next level of conversation. Uh, sometimes in premarital, I will say to a couple, uh, it is not okay to forget functional things. If you have a problem with that, write it down. Nothing worse than saying, I forgot. I forgot. Nothing devalues relationship more. Even at the functional level, it, it, it requires some active listening. But the other level of, of conversation is relational conversation. Now, functional conversation is important, but it has a very low ceiling. Relational conversation is really those conversations in which we're allowed to connect with one another, where, where there's an opportunity for depth. Now, this is a little side note, but you'll appreciate this, I think. And so I'm going to, be, I'm going to do a general statement now. Please don't email me. I, I'm not trying to be biased or do something, but just, you know. We talk in premarital class about this. Most men are functional talkers. We speak because we want to accomplish something. We also listen because we want to accomplish something. Most women are relational talkers. They talk to connect. Men, when they are listening to a woman talk, is asking this question. Why are you telling me this? What am I supposed to do with the information you are giving me. So far, none of this information has anything to do with me. There is not a single functional thing I'm supposed to do with this information. Amen? Now, that does not mean that all men are functional talkers. Sometimes you will meet a man who is a relational talker. And sometimes you will meet a woman who is a functional talker. And usually they are married to each other. Because, like, what would happen if two relational talkers got married? They would never go anywhere. They would just sit in their house <laughs> would just talk forever. The world would slowly spin down, and they would just be talking. So we actually use language in very different ways. And it's important that we identify this because we both need to be engaged in both kinds of conversations. So now, within the context of relational conversation, I want to break that down a little bit. There's a great study that came out of the University of Michigan. And just so you know, I didn't, you know, do research and find this for this sermon. I was in a seminar a number of years ago, and someone presented this information, and it impacted me and convicted me at such a high level that I'm going to share it with you. Probably more appropriate for the symposium I was in than for church on a Sunday morning, but since when have I ever been appropriate? So, <laughs> Within the context of relational conversation, there are three major types of conversation that take place. And what I'd like for you to do as I share this data is I'd like for you to go, that's mostly what happens to me. That is mostly how I think. That is mostly how I talk. And so here they are, three paradigms within the context of relational conversations. The first paradigm is called debate. Debate. 
The byline is this, might is right. Within the context of this paradigm, the conversation is oppositional. There are two sides. They are opposed to each other, and each is attempting to prove the other wrong. Debate assumes that there is a right answer and that someone has it. In debate, personal experience is secondary to forceful opinion. Personal experience is secondary to forceful opinion. Debate creates closed-minded attitudes and a determination to be right, and individuals are judged on their intellectual power. What is the self-orientation in debate? One submits one's best thinking and defends it against the challenges so that it can be proven right. Debate calls for investing wholeheartedly in one's own beliefs. Debate defends assumptions as truths. I'm so glad none of us ever do that. Defend assumptions as truths. Debate defends one's own position as the best solution and works to exclude all other solutions. Remember, this is the University of Michigan analyzing data, saying this is how people generally talk to one another. A lot of talk to one another is in this classification of debate. Debate affirms a participant's own point of view. How are we oriented to the other in a debate? In a debate, one listens to the other side in order to find flaws and to counter their arguments. Debate causes a critique of the other position. In debate, one is focused on the glaring differences between our opinions. What are the emotions involved in debate? Debate involves a countering of the other position without focusing on feelings or relationship, and it often involves the belittling or deprecation of another person. What's the end state in debate? Winning is the goal. There really isn't any other. Type number two, discussion. The noisier, the smarter. The noisier, the smarter. In this paradigm, discussion tends to contribute to the formation of the abstract notion of community. In other words, let's just discuss this together and we'll pretend we're connecting. Amen? It's a pseudo kind of community. In discussion, personal experience and actual content are seen as two separate things. Well, you may have been through that, but the truth is, the deeper reality, well, that may be your opinion, but the deeper truth is. Discussions often assume an equal playing field with little or no attention to the identity or to the status or to the power or to the expertise of people who are speaking. We're having a lot of discussion in social media we're not really giving any consideration to who knows what and what their background is and what their experience or their level of education or experience. This discussion is just a level playing field. We're all in it together. What's the self-orientation in discussion? Discussions are often conducted with the primary goal of increasing clarity and understanding of the issue with the assumption that we are working with a stable reality. What that means is this. We're often having a conversation believing that the, whatever we're talking about has an outcome that will make sense. So uh, how many of you, you don't have to lift your hands really, but how many of you have raised children or are in the process of raising children? Good. So how that works is you just get a bunch of philosophies, and when your children are born, you implement them, and then when they're old enough, you explain the rules to them, and then that works forever. 
Amen? So discussion makes the assumption that we have discovered this truth and now it is always going to work. It is a stable reality. Instead of looking at life and the world and going, boy, I don't know what the answers are. Amen? Can we collectively go? If I said to you, do you know how to fix it? Most of us would go, "Um, no, I don't. (laughs) I got some ideas. (laughs) But even if today we came up with some answers that fix something, do you think they'll work tomorrow or next week or next year? Because mostly we're not dealing with stable realities. We're dealing with ever-changing realities. Discussion makes the assumption that we're talking about stable reality. In discussion, individual contribution often center on their rightness or wrongness. In discussion, the impact may often be identified and processed individually and outside the group. In other words, people are thinking in real time, well, that was dumb. Well, that was good. Well, that's what I think. But as far as a collective experience, we're talking about listening relationship. In discussion, we're not collectively having an experience. What's the orientation to others? In discussion, one listens only to be able to insert their own perspective. In discussion, we are often listening and participating into a series of monologues. Just ask yourself, how often am I in conversation in which this is just a series of monologues? I talk, they talk, somebody else talks, but we're not really digging into the conversation. Discussion tends to encourage individual sharing, sometimes at the expense of listening and often at the expense of inquiring about another's perspective. What are the emotions? In discussion, in discussion the emotional responses may be present, but they're, not, they're very seldom named and they are usually unwelcome. Don't get so upset about it. We're just talking here. You don't need to be mad. You don't need to be upset. What's the end state? In discussion, the more perspectives voiced, the better. Let's move to a third type, dialogue. Connectivity for community. What's the model? Dialogue is collaborative. Two or more sides work together towards a common understanding. In dialogue, personal experience is a key avenue for self-awareness and for understanding circumstances. Personal experience is highly valued. In dialogue, exploring identities and differences are key elements in both the process and the content of the exchange. Well, what happened to you? Well, well, how did you feel about that? That's amazing. I've never thought about it or seen it from that perspective. What's our self-orientation? In dialogue, one submits their best thinking, knowing that other people's reflection will help improve it rather than destroy it. Everybody's like, oh, that's me. I'm always putting that out there, hoping somebody will help me improve my opinion. In dialogue, it calls for temporarily suspending judgments of others. Dialogue reveals assumptions and biases for reevaluation. We actually look at how we think and what we believe and we go, I, I'm not sure it's valid anymore. I'm going to need to alter what I think. I'm going to have to grow and mature. Dialogue causes introspection of one's own thoughts and positions. What's the orientation to others? In dialogue, one listens to the other side in order to understand and find meaning and find points of connection. 
In dialogue, it involves a real concern for the other person, and it seeks to not alienate and yet speak what is true for oneself. I don't want to push you out of the conversation or the dialogue, but I also want you to know I don't agree with that. This is what I think. In dialogue, one searches for the strengths and the other position. Dialogue creates an openness to learning from mistakes and biases. What's the emotion? In dialogue, emotions help deepen our understanding of a personal and a group and an intergroup interaction. Dialogue works to uncover confusion and contradiction and paradoxes with an aim at deeper understanding. What's the end state? In dialogue, emotions help deepen our understanding. Dialogue works to uncover confusion and contradictions. So for a moment, just to say which of those is more descriptive of you. If we have these two kinds of conversation, functional and relational, and within relational we have this idea of debate, discussion. Discussion being we're all talking but none of us are changing. And genuine dialogue. Because it matters. It makes a difference. How are we going to change the world? How are we going to help fix things that are broken? How are we going to connect better as human beings in our relationships? How are we going to give honor to the experiences of people who are different from our own experiences? Now, James is going to step into this conversation, and he's going to add a layer. And the layer he's going to add is the spiritual layer, because he's going to up front say, listen, this is not an academic conversation. This is about fulfilling the word of God. This is not about, do you think you ought to be a good listener or do you not think you ought to be a good listener? This is about the command of Scripture that we love one another as we love ourselves. Listen to how he states it, as we've already read. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, they go away and immediately forget what they look like. But whoever looks intently to the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Six thoughts that I think he's sharing with us. Number one, be quick to listen. Are you? I don't know that you need to do a lot of expansion on this point. It's pretty much it. Are you quick to listen? Are you quick to listen? Is that what people find true about you? If our greatest desire is to understand and be understood, and, and, and how we understand one another is by listening to one another, are we quick to listen? Are we curious about what's happening to another person, about how they're experiencing things? I feel like we're a fear-based culture. Like, like we are very much into this idea, and the church has sort of battened down the hatches, you know, instead of saying, I want to listen more. I want to be open to ideas that are, you know, not mine. I'm going to stand up for what I believe, but I want to be quick to listen. 
Is that true? Would your children say that's true of you? Would your friends say? Would your spouse say? Would your grandchildren say? Our grandkids are up this weekend. You know, we're having a good time. We have one that's three months old, and there's really not a lot to listen to. With <laughs> she's not, she's not saying a lot, not a lot. But, but my grandson, he's almost three, and he's just a ball of fire. And I find that most of the time that I'm interacting with him, it's functional. Sit down. Don't climb on that. Don't, don't put that in your mouth. Eat. No, no, eat. No, eat. No. Functional. Isn't it easy? It's easy within the circle of our relationship to, to everything becomes just a functional conversation. Are we quick to listen? Is that what people would say? Number two, be slow to speak. Ugh. I mean, I just preached this sermon over Pasadena, and then I drove over here. It's interesting how quick I am to speak in the car. I'm pretty sure if the officials that run the traffic lights in Pasadena could hear my insight into how they should work as opposed to how they do work, they would be deeply appreciative. <laughs> Even when we're alone, we're not very slow to speak, are we? Be quick to listen and slow to speak and be slow to become angry, number three. Are you? Are you slow to become angry? It's worth exploring what makes us angry, what sets us off, where are we spending our time and energy. For a lot of us, our anger, which is fairly common, is rooted in functional things, like the traffic lights aren't timed correctly in Pasadena, and I have no idea why they have to be like that. I can't tell you how many times on a Sunday morning I'm sitting at a light waiting, and nobody's going anywhere. <sighs> how often is the anger about something functional? I went to Jack in the Box this morning to get a little breakfast sandwich on the way over to Pasadena. This is the second week in a row. Somebody in front of me is ordering breakfast for an entire baseball team. <laughs> Go inside. You don't have to have 27 sandwiches handed through the window. Come on. Isn't it interesting how often we're angry about functional things? Let's don't even get to talking about politics and cultural issues be slow to anger be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry it's worth just stopping and going what am I angry about am I angry about functional things or am I angry about things that really matter and if I'm angry about things that really matter is it, are there things I can do something about are there things in which I'm really actually constructively engaging or I'm just worried about them I'm just afraid of them and so because I'm afraid of them I feel angry about them I don't know if, if any of this connects, but somewhere in here is what mental illness becomes. <laughs> I'm angry and upset about things I can do nothing about, about which I can take no form of action. And I'm upset and there's no cure. Except maybe be slow to become angry. Be slow to become angry. Number four, be teachable. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that's so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. 
When you dig into the Greek here, some of the underlying language in this, it actually literally means be teachable. Are we? When's the last time you could mark a time in your life where your position, perspective, level of maturity and growth changed? Where you said, I used to think, but now I think. I use this illustration often, so you know, you've heard it a bunch of times, but I think it's funny. People, I don't know why, but in their life, they get to a certain age, and then they stop getting an up-to-date haircut. <laughs> Have you noticed that? Not everybody, but some people. I mean, you can generally go to the grocery store and go, 1975. <laughs> I mean, it... it in grace, you don't see that many 80s. You know, you remember 80s, you know, woo, <laughs> big hair. You don't see that much of that. But some people just decided, that's it for me. That's the last haircut I'm ever getting. It's, this is it. I'm not styling one more day. This is all I'm doing right here. This is from now on. This is me. 1975 served me well. I was 21 years old. I look great. I look great now. No, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. It ain't working. It ain't working. But how many of us, that's our maturity. I figured out what I thought when I was in my 20s, and I haven't stopped thinking it. I haven't grown, I haven't moved, I haven't changed, I haven't evolved. My inner world, it looks exactly like it did in 1975 or 1985 or 1990. I don't allow the relative nature of the world around me to impact me or change me. I'm not more sensitive than I used to be. I hold on to the same old understandings. I'm going nowhere. I think that James is saying, listen, you need to be teachable. You need to stop doing some things. You need to engage some things because maturity matters. Get rid of all moral filth. Grow up. Get going. Mature. Have depth. If we're going to actively listen to people, we've got to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, and we must be a work in progress. We must be teachable. We must acknowledge that we haven't arrived yet, that there's still work to be done, that we're still forming ourselves around our identity in Christ, that, that there's things that need to change in us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Number five, be honest with yourself. Don't just listen to the word. Do what it says. Don't just give intellectual assent. I think the word of God is good. That's a value. What's the virtue? How do I implement this in the real world? How do I put this into practice? Whoever hears the word and doesn't put it into practice is like a person who looks in the mirror and goes away and forgets what they've seen. I think we've all caught glimpses of ourselves that we don't like. Amen? I often catch glimpses of myself through the eyes of my children, my adult children. And if I'm willing... I catch glimpses of myself through their eyes. If I'm, see, number four, not very teachable, then I go, what's wrong with these children? <laughs> it comes out in things like this. Yeah, I don't think I could talk to dad about that. Oh, well, that's not a very good glimpse of myself. My own children feel like there's an area of life that they can't talk to me about. Hmm. And then you know what we do? We catch that glimpse and we go, well, let's just get back to normal. 
Let's just get back to the status quo. Let's just get back to our comfort zone. Let's just surround ourselves with people that are like us and think like us. In fact, I'll find another person my age and I'll talk to them about my children and he can talk to me about their children and we'll complain about our children and how crazy they are. I know that never happens among you. We'll get back to the status quo. We'll, we'll encase ourselves back in our comfort zones. We'll, we caught a glimpse of something that we... Probably the Holy Spirit is convicting us and speaking to us. We've looked in the mirror, and, and it's been brought to our attention, and now we will seek the comfort of getting back into, let's get things back to normal. That's what he's talking about. And if we're going to be active listeners, and we're going to make a commitment to listen, it will be because we are honest with ourselves. That is not who God has called me to be. And let's just talk about this for a minute. You and I are ambassadors of reconciliation as though God himself were making his appeal through us. Would you say generally that's what's happening in the world of Christendom? That a whole bunch, millions and millions of Christians around the world have taken seriously the call to be ambassadors of reconciliation and that's our reputation in the world? Oh, here comes some more Christians. There's going to be a lot of reconciliation going on here. Oh, here comes a bunch of Christians. There's going to be a lot of listening and they're going to be slow to anger and quick to listen, slow to speak. Is that what's going on in our culture, in our world? Is that what goes on in our own homes, in our own families, in our own communities? Because what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about the condition of the world? The kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took, listen, into his backyard and planted. We're not helpless. We have choice. We, we have to take seriously and be honest about these glimpses of who we are versus who we are called to be. And we're going to have to be honest if we're going to be active listeners. Number six, we're going to have to be committed at the core. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves. <sighs> and their religion is... Let's say it together. Worthless. It's worthless. <sighs> James. <laughs> Somewhere in here, we're going to have to come to a, a point where we are committed at the core to be these people of reconciliation who are quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry and who are teachable and we're learners and we're evolving and we're understanding more. I think this is fair and I think it's true. My kids have something to teach me about the world. My grandkids have something to teach me about the world. If I always believe that I have something to teach them about the world, I'm going to miss something. Because this world is not the world I grew up in. And the world I grew up in does not exist anymore. And if somewhere in there I have not created a core commitment in which I will actively listen. And that James writes it out this way. I mean, of all the things that we could have talked about, we could have talked about a lot of stuff. I mean, there's some really good stuff in Paul about all kinds of immorality and all kinds of craziness, and we could just talk about that. This hits a little too close to home, doesn't it? It's like, James, come on, man. 
Come on. So here's the conclusion. You and I are called to be leaders in this world. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Let your light shine in such a way that they see your good deeds and give praise to your Father in heaven. When people come into this space in which we become followers of Jesus Christ, we are no longer in the background of the world, of the earth, of this culture in which we live. We are now leaders. That is a part of what happens. Oh, I'm not really a leader type. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Who lights a lamp and puts it under a basket? Don't you put it in the middle of the house so it gives light to everyone? Let your light shine in such a way that they see your good deeds and give praise to your Father in heaven. With that in mind, then I share with you a quote from Richard Foster as we kind of wrap this up. Leadership is an act of submission to God. To be a leader means listening to all kinds of people and situations. Out of that listening, we are hoping to discern the mind of God as best we can. This is the price of leadership. It is an act of sacrifice. So leadership is part and parcel of the work of our submission to God. We are leaders. You're a leader in your home. You're a leader in your family. You're a leader in your work. You're a leader in your community. What are we going to do about it? Listen. The greatest commandment in the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. If that's not simple enough, he takes it down one more level. Love and treat others the way you want to be loved and treated. We're called commanded to be active listeners. God, would you help us? I would guess that in a day like this, as we talk about being quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry, that some people are angry. Because that happens when we talk like this. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would just do some work in us. Here's what we desire. We desire to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. We believe that your word is true. We believe that you've called us to be ambassadors of reconciliation. We believe that your word teaches that we are the hands and feet of Jesus. Forgive us when we represent you poorly. Forgive us when we forget to be slow to speak and quick to listen. Forgive us when we're angry, when we're not teachable, when we're not honest about who we are. But most of all, forgive us when we are unwilling to make the core commitment to be people of deep relational connection, to actively listen so that we can love, to actively listen so we can understand, 
to actively listen so we can grow. Help us. Would you hear our responses? In these closing moments, would you do work in every single heart, in every single life, those in the room, those online, those that will join in the course of the week ahead? Change us, God. Please change us. Don't let us be hearers of the word. Help us to be doers of the word. We pray it in your name. And everybody said together, will you stand as we respond to the word? Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.